just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hope all is going well with you. We've got to start a whole new week. And to be perfectly honest with you, the next couple of weeks are going to be busy. So keep your eyes wide and your ears open. And stay in touch with me here with the Rational Boomer Podcast. I'll do my best to translate or interpret what you hear in the mainstream media, whether it be the right side or the left side. They don't always tell you all the facts, or they don't uh, present it in such a way where it makes any sense or there's logic. All they're looking for is clickbait. All they're looking for is the salacious or the sensational. And uh, what I try to do here is try to break it down in specific terms. It's funny. um, When I was growing up, my father was a narcissist and a sociopath and all those sorts of things. But whenever he addressed any situation, it was always the absolute worst or the absolute best. There was no in-between. He had to be either the best or it was the worst and he was the victim. And I guess the best illustration I can give you of that mentality is, (laughs) say I'm a young kid. I'm 12 years old. And I want to do something that is right on the edge of when I should do it. Like, say, I want to go on a trip with another kid's family. I'm 12 years old. My father would say to me, God damn it, you're 11 years old. You're not old enough to do that stuff. (laughs) But I'm 12. But if I did something stupid, if I did something stupid that was unexpected for my age of 12, he'd say, Jesus Christ, you're 13 years old. What the hell are you doing? You see what I mean here? He would always exaggerate it one way or another to make his point stronger, or at least he thought he did. To me, it always seemed ridiculous. I thought, this guy doesn't know how old I am. I'm sure he doesn't know when my birthday is. Thank God for my mom, because this fucking idiot can't keep track of anything. And that's kind of how I see the media in this country. They're either talking about the worst or the best. Now, for four years when Donald Trump was in office, you would see the left-leaning media tear them to shreds and support the Democrats. Now, the Democrats are in. Now they're reporting what's going on, and now they're trying to jump down their throats, whether it's justified or not. It's like they've got to create this turmoil or this drama. If they just took the facts and gave them to you, you could choose whether it be drama-filled or make sense. But no matter what happens with the right or the left in the media, they've got to stir the pot. They've got to get you excited, scare you, make you happy, make you sad. And let's be perfectly honest. When you're talking about being in the media, you, if you want to be successful, you have to strike people's emotions. Once you can do that, then you can kind of suck them into what you want them to do and listen to what you want to deliver to them. But there are some limitations to that. There are some limitations to that. When we're talking about news, um, this isn't like an entertainment show or a commercial. 
The facts that we deliver are crucial to give the proper perception to the people who are listening or consuming whatever we're putting out. It doesn't seem to bother or doesn't seem to matter to the right or the left media. All they want you to do is be excited, upset, and tuning in. That old clickbait, but on TV. So what I try to do here is try to give you the whole story. It might be dramatic. It might be scary. It might be happy. But um, you need all the information. Because I don't want to dictate how you feel about something. I just want to tell you what I tell you, and you can decide what you feel or what you think about it. You may be totally the opposite of what I think, but that's fine. You take in the information the way you take it, and you decide whether it's good or bad, or whether you have to do something or you just sit back. The media doesn't want to do that. They want to control every bit of your mentality and your emotions and capitalize on it and monetize it. I'm not trying to monetize anything here. Trying to just inform people so we can have a little better country, so that people can do the right things based on the knowledge they have. So now, the next couple weeks are going to be busy. We've got all kinds of things happening. The infrastructure bill and the reconciliation bill may very well be voted on this week. And I honestly believe it will pass. I think the reconciliation bill will be something less than $3.5 trillion, but it will pass. And we'll talk about that in the second part of the program. We've talked about it a lot, but I think it warrants talking about because this is going to be transformational for this country. It's important. Uh, We also have the Supreme Court uh, in the early part of November. They're going to listen to oral arguments about the anti-abortion laws in Texas. Now, remember, the reason we have the anti-abortion laws in Texas is because of the Supreme Court. The reason we still have the anti-abortion laws, even though it was overturned at one point, is because of the Supreme Court. So to think that they're going to change their mind and do something different, I don't know. The goal is to overturn Roe v. Wade, and we might well be on the road to that. The only thing they aren't thinking about is the uproar and the outrage by the women in this country. We're talking 51% of this country. There's going to be a lot of pissed off people, not just women, but men too. And the backlash from that may be far bigger than they ever imagined. The other thing that's going on is that, of course, um, it's been okayed for the National Archives to release documents from in and around January 6th to the House Select Committee. That's been okay. That's ready to go. But of course, Donald Trump sticks his nose in, files lawsuit based on executive privilege, which isn't a thing for him. He's going to lose the case. But his goal is always to uh, delay it. Well, it's not going to work in this situation because it's going to go to court Um, in the early part of November. It's either either the 1st or the 4th. So he's not going to get much delay time. There's no way he can win that case because he has no fucking case. But he may then appeal it to a higher court and ultimately to the Supreme Court. We'll see what happens. But there's so much other stuff happening. Now, last night, there was an article released 
by, of all people, the Rolling Stone. I'll be honest with you. I haven't read the Rolling Stone since I was probably 20 years old. It was cool back in the day, but not so much anymore. But uh, they do have a journalistic side, and they released a story last night that was very interesting. I think it's something we all knew, but now it sounds like it's going to be verified. The headline of the story reads, January 6th, protest organizers say they participated in dozens, literally dozens, of planning meetings with members of Congress and the White House staff. Well, well, well. I mean, there's been all kinds of talk about this, about giving tours, congressmen giving tours, planning meetings, war room meetings, those sorts of things. But it was just out there in the ether. People were saying, yeah, I heard this, I heard that, I saw this, I saw that. But nothing specific, nothing hard-lined proven. Well, we're getting closer to that situation, and it's coming from a good source, given the circumstance. Apparently, there are two sources that are feeding this information to the the House Select Committee, and they are organizers of that, well, they call it a protest, but it was a fucking insurrection. And uh, they've been talking a lot with the investigators. I think some of these people that are insurrectionists feel like they've been betrayed, and I'll explain that, or that'll be clear here shortly as to why they feel that way. But they've been talking a lot, given a lot of information. And uh, they're, they're naming names, too. They're naming names, and they are the likely suspects. Some of the names that they say were involved in these meetings include Representative Andy Biggs, Representative Lauren Boebert, Representative Louis Gomert, Representative Madison Cawthorn, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, Representative uh, Paul Gosar, Donald Trump, and Mark Meadows, who was the chief of staff for Donald Trump. Now, what's interesting about Gozar is that these two sources stated that while meeting with Gosar, he promised them a blanket pardon for everybody that was involved, claiming that it was coming directly from the Oval Office. Well, the first question is, if their intent was legal, why would you need any kind of pardon at all? So that tells you they knew what they were going to do, and they knew that it was going to be illegal. The sad thing is that when it all came down and everything crashed down around them, and the uh, insurrection was stopped unceremoniously after all the damage that was done, there were no pardons. And that's what I was getting to before. These people who went in to fight for Donald Trump Felt like Donald Trump was going to save them. Thought he was going to be involved. He even said he'd walk down the street with them to the U.S. Capitol. He couldn't even do that. He went back, partied, drank, ate, and watched it on TV. That's your Lord and Savior. That's your hero, Donald Trump. That's what the fuck he did. Well, so now these people didn't get pardons. Donald Trump didn't say what he was going to do. So these people now feel betrayed and they have some incentive to speak out. 
not only as revenge to Donald Trump and the administration and all these all these representatives, but to save their ass. No doubt they're going to get some consideration by giving up this information, shorter jail times or considerations as far as charges go. So we'll see what happens with that. But we have watched all these representatives and we had thoughts that they were probably involved in the insurrection. But now these two sources who were actual parts of the insurrection tell us that, in fact, they were. I mean, when you think about this, we're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, maybe ten people minimum involved in this. And some people might say, well, what about Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy? Well, my guess is this. They weren't in on the planning, but they were talking to Donald Trump all day through this whole event. So they were helping in other ways. Uh, So they are involved, too. So now we're looking at uh, 11 or 12 people that were involved in this thing. 11 or 12 people on the Republican Party were involved in the insurrection. Can you imagine if that's proven what that is going to do? I've said this before. I've said before that uh, everybody's worried about the Democrats losing in 2022. Two things are going to happen. They're going to pass the infrastructure and the reconciliation bill. This is going to help the Democrats immensely. But I also said a lot of things are going to come out about the Republicans. And it's going to be indisputable. And it's going to make them look bad. Now, the base is going to vote the way they vote. But there's a lot of people beyond the base that vote Republican that are a little more commonsensical, that understand what breaking the law and treason and insurrection is all about. As it was, Donald Trump in 2020 lost all the independence, which cost him the race. Black women throughout the country all voted for Biden. That lost it for Donald Trump. If he does run in 2024, and I'm convinced he won't, he won't be able to, especially if this happens, especially if this is proven. He just won't run in 2024. But here's the thing. Now, if each one of these people are proven to have been involved in this situation, theoretically, they all can be expelled by way of the 14th Amendment. Not only are they expelled from office, they are prohibited from ever running for office again. And since Donald Trump is in that list, that would be included. So you see what I mean? I don't even think he's going to be able to legally run for president. And certainly the Republican Party isn't going to make him this candidate. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Now, I've had a lot of people come to me on my post and say, yeah, well, that's good. We know he's guilty, but remember the Mueller report. We proved he was guilty and he wasn't accountable. And that's true. But a lot of what happened in the Mueller report is going to come out now, and he still could be held accountable. But what you need to understand is what we're dealing with now is vastly different than what we were dealing during the impeachment and the Mueller report. At that time, Donald Trump was still the president and apparently couldn't be touched for whatever reason. 
The Republicans had control. They were not going to let any investigation go. They were not going to dig into anything. They were going to cover their eyes, their ears, and their mouth and do nothing about it. That's what happened. That's not the case anymore. We have Biden in the presidential office. We have Democrats in the House and the Repu- uh, and in the Senate. So to try to compare those two eras or those two times is ridiculous. They're vastly different. And to say, well, it didn't happen during the Mueller report doesn't mean shit because it's different now. We're seeing the difference now as more and more things are being exposed. You know, you've got Jeffrey Clark coming up next week, Friday. He's the guy in the DOJ that was going to write the letters to the states where Donald Trump lost and said, hey, stop. This is coming from the DOJ. Stop everything. Don't certify the election. We got to figure this out. Well, that in itself is treasonous and he's in trouble. But for whatever reason, he is agreeing to come testify. Now, he might plead the fifth, probably will. But he's coming to testify because he's scared shitless. See, the problem is the AG, Rosen, his boss at the time, did testify, did not plead the fifth, and told the whole story. Now, the fact of the matter is that uh, Jeffrey Clark had to send that letter up the chain to AG Rosen, and Rosen said, no, that's fucking crazy. So that's yet another thing coming next week. There's a lot of things happening this week, and I think now that it was, as we get to the end of the year in 2022, you're going to see more and more stuff pop up and take off. I said this in one of my TikToks. You know, a lot of people say, this is going too slow. It's never going to happen. It's going too slow. Well, things when it comes to legal issues do go slowly. However, there may be some reason to the madness. Maybe they're trying to pace it here. So most everything comes out in 2022 leading up to the election. They want this as ugly as they possibly can get as close to the election as possible. We're only a year out from the election. And if the mess starts now, the investigations, the indictments, the convictions, and all of this stuff comes out between now and the election, it's going to have a huge impact on what happens during that election. And don't <laughs> don't give them too much credit. They're thinking about this, and they're going to use that as a strategy. They can't afford to lose in 2022 if they hope to get anything else done. So they're going to make it look as ugly as possible. They're going to get as many bills passed as possible. And by the time you get to 2022, you'll see all the great things that the Democrats are doing and all the horrors that the Republicans were involved in and the fact that they don't want to participate in all these things that are helpful to the people. People keep wanting to say, well, the Republicans are going to win. That's how it went down in history. Well, history has never been like this before. I want to talk about something else about these representatives and how they were dealing with these insurrectionists. And to be perfectly honest with you, in my mind, when I'm looking at these U.S. representatives who were meeting with these insurrectionists, it is almost kind of like an abusive relationship. 
Now, these insurrectionists, a couple things we know about them. They're not too bright. They're easily swayed. They believe lies. And you can hype them up and get them angry by just scaring them. Now, all these representatives, not all of them are necessarily very smart, but they had some power, so they knew that would work with these people. The more you fire them up, the more shit they're going to do. So these people took advantage of the insurrectionist and built them up and fired them up to the point where they were ready to attack anything. They didn't care about themselves. Yeah, they heard about the blanket... Uh, blanket pardons possibility, but I've heard from a couple of other people said, ah, that didn't really matter. We thought we were doing the right thing. We thought we were the heroes in this case. So that just proves what I said. These people are telling these insurrectionists these stories, these lies, and somehow they believed it. And that's the problem with this country. There are many people in this country that will believe anything they're told. And it's not just the insurrectionists, it's Joe Average down the street, or Jane Average down the street. And this is the problem with the media. They tell you shit, they maybe don't tell you the whole story, but you're conditioned to believe it because it's on TV or on the internet. Now then you go off half-cocked because you don't know the whole story. And they dictate how people react to things. Oh, Joe Biden's... Uh, Poll ratings are going down. The sky is falling. Well, his ratings may be going down, and that's not unusual for a sitting president. But what they don't tell you is as soon as those infrastructure deals pass, his poll ratings are going to go way up because the um, stock market's going to go way up. People are going to benefit in a big way. Joe understands the long game. Yeah, his poll ratings might be down now, but what does he give a shit? He knows what's coming are going to raise those poll ratings. And I'm convinced he doesn't give a shit about the poll ratings because I don't think he's going to run in 2024. He's in a position that's enviable for a lot of presidents or a president who's in his second term. He's not worried about being reelected. So now he can just focus on doing good. Now, some presidents in this situation, like Donald Trump, for example, if he was in his last term, it's an opportunity for him to be do bad and not be accountable. But fortunately, Joe Biden isn't like that. He's done a lot of good in his career. He's a decent human being, and he'd like to walk away from this with some kind of legacy that he did big things for this country. And when he gets those infrastructure bills passed, he will have done big things for this country. There has been no transformational event like Joe Biden is planning to set up with these two bills since FDR and the New Deal. Can you imagine that? The only time the middle class and the general public has been served to this degree in this country, the last time was FDR and the New Deal. How is that fucking possible when you think about all the times the rich got tax breaks and money pouring out of their pockets? But it's taking this many years. What was that, in the 40s? And we're in the 2020s? We're talking 80 years. 
It takes 80 years to do some good for the people of this country. That tells you a lot about our system, not just Republican, but Democrats too. And we got to remember that. Because once this is over with, the Democrats get what they want and things are better for us. We still have to stay on top of it. We still have to push these people. And we've got to watch the Democrats, too, because over the past 80 years, they haven't been a lot better than the Republicans. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. So, as I've said, look for something to happen with the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the Build Back Better Reconciliation Bill this week. I'm hearing that they might even try to start voting on this thing as early as Wednesday. That means they would have to reach a deal. Now, as I've said before, it's probably not, it's definitely not going to be the $3.5 trillion on the reconciliation bill between Joe Manchin, who's a criminal, and, uh, and Kristen Sinema, who's an idiot and a weirdo, uh, they've run through some stumbling blocks. So it's going to have to be pared down a little bit. And there are people upset about it. And there's also people upset saying, yeah, but what about the voting rights bill? That's more important. And in realistic terms, you're probably right. The voting rights bill is probably the most important thing that can happen during Joe Biden's term because of all the voter suppression laws that are being passed in states all over the country. That can really have a serious impact on our future elections. So that voting rights bill does have to pass ASAP before 2022. But you have to understand how Joe Biden has to play this game with uh, with Congress and, and with the Republicans. He's working on this infrastructure bill. He's going to get it done. And it's absolutely crucial that he gets it done because then that puts him and the Democrats in a much better light. Because once these things take action, people all around the country will feel the positive effects of these bills. They'll look kindly on the Democrats. They'll be excited about the future with all the help they're finally getting after all these years. That puts Joe Biden and the Democrats in a much stronger position. Now, I've said before, too, you don't want to have too much going on, uh, too many things, too many cooks in the kitchen or too much, too many ingredients in the pot because it gets all mixed up and then nothing gets done. Joe's doing the right thing. Let's get this done. Get this out of the way. Let's not cause any problems because we may have to kick the, the very people we're asking for help right now. We may have to kick their ass on the next one. So instead of getting into that point where we may have to kick their ass, let's get what we want from these people now, set that aside, and then focus on the next things. And the voting rights bill is a huge deal. There is no question about it. But in addition to the voting rights bill is the filibuster situation. Now, we've known up to recently three people that are against the filib- against getting rid of the filibuster, Joe Manchin, Kristen Sinema, and Joe Biden. I guess it's something that's been around for a long time, and, and, and they feel it's necessary. For the life of me, I've looked at it inside, outside, frontward, backwards. There is no benefit to the filibuster, other than the minority group, whoever that be, Democrats or Republicans, gets a safety net. 
They don't have to take a full loss. They can block something. And as I've said many times before, that might be fine for them, but that means we get nothing done. We are in a democracy. Majority should rule. And in the Senate, 51 votes is the majority. To suggest that we have to have a supermajority of 60 votes is just like changing the rules of what democracy is all about. But that's what they've done. So now once the infrastructure bill is done and passed, Joe Biden looks better, Democrats look better, they're stronger, they're in a better position. Now you have to go against the voting rights bill. That's got to be the next thing. Because if they don't get that fixed soon, it's going to be a problem in 2022. With all these laws and all these states, it's going to screw up a lot of elections. If we can get that voting rights bill passed, it will negate all those things. And all that work and all that time and all those ways they want to cheat are going to be taken away from them. That's why it's absolutely crucial. This is not only about elections, this is about our democracy as a whole, so it has to be done. Now, of course, with the voter rights bill, for whatever reason, well, we know the reason, Republicans won't vote for it. So, and they will use the filibuster. So theoretically, in order to pass that voting rights bill, we are going to have to have a a supermajority or 60 votes, which we know is impossible. We'll get 50 votes from the Democrats. We will get a tie-breaking note, a vote from uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris, but that won't really come into play because if they use the filibuster, then we need 60 votes, and we already know the Democrats won't vote for it. So theoretically, that voting rights bill will never pass. Unless, unless something changes with the filibuster. Now, I think they're going to vote on this voting rights bill here again sometime soon, knowing that it's not going to pass. But it's to put pressure on Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin, these people that don't want to get rid of the filibuster. It's going to put pressure on them because they say, oh, we want it bipartisan. But at the same time, they know the value of this voting rights bill and how important it is. So now they've got some pressure on them. They have to make some decisions that they maybe wouldn't have made. Even Joe Biden is now trying, starting to buck his trend of wanting to keep the filibuster. He's nervous. Because he knows if that voting rights bill isn't passed, his his uh, party, the Democrats, are going to suffer mightily. So now he has to do something, even if it's something he would never do. And he acknowledged uh, with Anderson Cooper that uh, he might be willing to what they call cut out the filibuster just for the voting rights bill. Uh, Mitch McConnell did it for some uh, appointees when he had control of the Senate. Well, yeah, you need the uh, supermajority, but on this one, we'll cut it out so you don't need it on this particular bill. So that's an opportunity for the Democrats with the voting rights bill. Cut it out, change it temporarily or for just one bill and uh, get the voting rights bill passed. But then Joe Biden also said, or I might be willing to go further with it, maybe to the point of getting rid of the filibuster. 
which would be the absolute best thing in my mind for this democracy. If we want to maintain this democracy, let's make it a true democracy. 51 votes wins. Now, I know the Democrats are nervous about it because they say, okay, but if the Republicans get in, we can't block anything. That's true. So maybe that means you got to work a little harder to beat these fucking Republicans. What's good for the goose is good for the gander. We need to get things done. And granted, if the Republicans get in and there's no filibuster, theoretically, they could pass some bullshit. But hopefully that bullshit will keep them from getting elected and the Democrats can do the right thing. Now, I'm not fully trusting that the Democrats will always do the right thing. So maybe it balances it out. Maybe it keeps them honest. If the Democrats are now concerned about the Republicans getting in power and winning with a simple majority, then maybe the Republicans will worry about the Democrats doing the same thing. If they both have something to lose and fear of getting their ass kicked, maybe they'll be a little more responsible when it comes to bringing bills and passing them with the simple majority. I don't know that that would work. But it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing for democracy. We need to do it now to benefit the Democrats. And if the Republicans ever get in again and they have power, well, they're going to have the option too. But so be it. That's what democracy is all about. We may not like the results of all votes and all bills that pass, but that's the way it goes. And if we don't like some bills, then we vote those motherfuckers out. It's very simple. At least things are moving forward. At least things are getting done. When this country and our government stagnates, nothing gets done and people suffer because of it. We need to keep moving forward. And if some of those movements forward are bad or wrong or ill-advised, okay. At least we're moving forward and now we can do what we need to do to adjust and fix the situation. So I'm hoping they get rid of the filibuster. That's something that they are seriously talking about now. And if they want to get that voting rights bill, and it's absolutely crucial, well, then that's what they'll do. That's the funny thing about uh, politicians. They'll say, yeah, I'll never do that until they do. Things change all the time. And everything they say is about perception, not necessarily about truth. And it's about perception at given times. Like I said, with the infrastructure bill, you have to be nice and negotiate and everything. But you know, when you get to the voting rights bill, you might have to kick somebody's ass, but you don't want to do that until you have to do it. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I've talked to people about um, negotiations with stuff in business. And the problem with people in most negotiations, they get emotional. Like, say, for example, you own a house and you're selling the house. And somebody comes in and offers a low bid, an insulting bid. The first thing that these people do will get emotional. I can't believe you did that. Fuck you. You're not buying my house. I wouldn't sell it to you for twice as much. Well, now that's stupid. The bottom line is you're there to sell your house. So why burn the bridge 
until you know there's nothing to be gained. Don't get emotional. Don't be a hard ass until you get what you want. Now, once you got what you want, you can do whatever you want to them. Kick their ass, yell and scream at them. But don't cut your nose off to spite your face. Get what you want. Get the deal done. Or just walk away from the deal and say nothing. The fact that you get emotional in something, and this ties in, as I'm saying, with the government and the Senate and the House and all these people negotiating about these things. Once people get emotional, they have lost. And that's why you can't do that. What I've always done when it comes to negotiation is take emotion out of it completely. Try to understand what these people truly want because what they're saying isn't really what they mean. They're posturing, trying to get you to do what they want you to do. You're trying to get them to do what you want them to do. So what's the best answer? What's the best way to do it? And for me, it's always been, I don't give a fuck. I don't care. So I'm immediately putting myself in a position in this negotiation where I don't care, but you do. So I win. And the way I win is that I say, look, here's the deal. Do you want the deal? If not, fuck it. I'm going away. Now, these people in my business, they want the deal. I know they want the deal. So they're going to back down and start negotiating with some decency. But they also know, and these senators and these House members know one other thing, that this just isn't a one-time deal. I'm going to have to deal with these people again. Now, if I don't give a shit and I don't want to deal with you, you're worried about the next time. If you're being an asshole asking for something that's ridiculous, and I say, no, that's ridiculous. See ya. Bye. They have to think about the future. And these senators and these representatives all have to deal on a regular basis on all kinds of things. Maybe one day I need something, but at some point you're going to need something and you're going to need me. So instead of pissing me off and having me walk away and risking never dealing with you again, you're going to have to back up a little bit and negotiate with proper terms. And see, that's my point. When we're dealing with senators or representatives and that sort of thing, they're saying what they say to each other as a strategy, a negotiation strategy, which for me is just totally ridiculous. It, it It's just a waste of time. But it's also trying to give the perception to the general public and the media of who they are. Mitch McConnell, big on being the tough guy. Yeah, we'll never vote for raising the debt ceiling. But when that bluff doesn't work, what's he have to do? He has to back down and say, okay, we'll do it on a temporary basis. But now he's saying it again. Did he not learn a lesson? Because come December 3rd, they're going to have to address the debt ceiling again. And he's already told them, oh, we're not going to do anything about it. We're not going to help you. That's fucking bullshit. If you're negotiating with Mitch McConnell and you look him in the eye and he says, I'm not going to vote for raising the debt ceiling, you know for a fact he's actually fucking lying. Because if the debt ceiling isn't signed, the economy is going to crash in this country and maybe throughout the world. 
A lot of wealthy people are going to lose a lot of money. And a lot of those wealthy people are his buddies or his benefactors. So you really think he's going to let that happen? Hell no. But he thinks he's playing with people that can be bullied, that believe the bullshit. And that's the unfortunate thing about government. There's a lot of bullshit. We don't hear always what is the truth. We don't always hear what is the facts. And they play this game amongst themselves as well. They will talk shit. They will say anything to make themselves look important or tough. And uh, if the person negotiating with them has any intelligence and any balls at all, they will expose them for the foolishness they're doing. Now, up to recently, the Democrats didn't have the balls or the intelligence to do that to the Republicans. That's why they get run over every goddamn time. I keep saying you've got to be tough, but that doesn't mean yelling and screaming and making threats. That means saying, yeah, I don't give a fuck. You don't want to give me this? I won't give you that. Now how do you feel about it? Because everything in this world is give and take, whether you're married, whether you're with kids, or whether you're uh, dealing in business or in government. And if you burn those bridges too early, you're the one that's going to pay the price ultimately. And hopefully some of these senators and these House members understand that. Now, the people that don't understand that are the people that help the insurrectionists that are now being exposed and uh, probably going to be expelled and maybe arrested. I mean, these are treasonists. They thought they can bully their way through. They thought they were so powerful and so strong, they can make the rules any way they want them, and nobody's going to do anything about it. Right about now, they're sitting in their comfy home saying to themselves, fuck, I'm in trouble. Because this is getting exposed. It's hard to whisk away treason or sedition. This is going to get known. It's going to get proven. These are people that don't know how to do business. Because they're under the wrong assumption they're omnipotent and, and, and more powerful than anyone. Once you believe that, you're going to get your ass kicked. And that's what these people are going to do. They're going to get their ass kicked. Mitch McConnell will ultimately get his ass kicked, probably in 2022, when he loses seats in the Senate to the Democrats, and now he has no power. Joe Manchin, Kristen Cinema, the games they're playing, they're going to lose ultimately. I mean, Jesus Christ, Joe Manchin doesn't want climate control. He doesn't want any money spent on that. Well, big surprise, he's from a coal state. And even a bigger surprise, he's a part owner in a fucking coal company. How can he even be involved in something like this? Isn't that uh, a, a, a contrary position for him to be in? Doesn't he have... Shouldn't he be excluded from these things if he owns or partially owns... Uh, a coal company. Now, he played the game, 
His son te- technically owns it, but he gets paid four or $500,000 a year from that coal company. And guess what? Mom, Manchin's wife, gets 600000 million dollars a year he gets from that coal company. I don't care if he technically doesn't own it. He's got some serious interest in it, getting a million dollars a year which is substantial when you understand he's making about $180,000 a year as a Senate. But yet he gets to decide whether we do something to improve climate change. It's fucking ridiculous. And this guy will get exposed for it. He thinks he's too smart. He thinks he's too powerful. But things are coming out now. And as they come out and they shake out, people will see it and there's no way to divert around it. And these people will pay the price ultimately. I'd like to think that our politicians are smarter than me. (laughs) But I'm not so sure. And if they aren't, boy, we're in trouble. We're in some big trouble. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. want to remind you if you you have questions, comments, complaints, recipes, I don't give a shit. Send me an email at rationalboomer at gmail.com or go to anchor.fm. Look for Rational Boomer Podcast and you can leave a voicemail. I love hearing from you folks and I appreciate it immensely. So we'll wrap it up here and I'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.